Welcome to In the Garden. I'm Mark Fairley, your host for today and also a master gardener. Today our subject will be designing a beautiful and productive vegetable garden. And we will have a guest this morning. And I will introduce her in a second, but first I've got some business to do. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And just so you know, the opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the Board of Regents. For more information, go to KUCI.org. Okay, let's begin our program today. We've got a very interesting guest who is an expert on the design and building of a beautiful and productive vegetable garden. Her name is Jerry Sabalis. Jerry is a master gardener. And Jerry, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Yes, I'm a retired registered nurse, and I've been gardening all my life. I, I was influenced strongly by my grandmother, who had come from Poland, and she brought her gardening habits with her. And one of the things she did every year was to plant a huge vegetable garden. That was how we ate our food. It was wartime, and we all had victory gardens. Uh So we grew a lot of tomatoes and lettuces and cabbages, etc., and that was our food source. So, And for a lot of people in those years... It was. I found uh, I enjoyed eating the vegetables more than planting them at that time. There is a difference between something just picked and something that has been in the store or on its way to the store for two or three weeks. Exactly. I'm sure those of you who garden find that the best tomato you will ever eat is the first one of the season. That is right. You know, and there's one thing I have to say about homegrown tomatoes. There's only two things money can't buy. True love and homegrown tomatoes. I love that. That sounds really wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually a, there is a song. It's called Homegrown Tomatoes. And I was listening not too long ago in late night while I was doing some reading, and the song came on. It was a traditional country song. I was listening to that station, and it was, it just hit me when I heard those words True Love and Homegrown Tomatoes. In any event, I'll let you get back because that's true. Homegrown tomatoes and the first ones of the season are the best. 
So your background was from your family. Yes. Your m mother or grandmother? My grandmother. Your grandmother. And so that's how you got interested in vegetable gardening. But let me ask, you're also a master gardener. How long have you been a master gardener? I believe I have been a master gardener for about 16 years. Really? I was in the very first master gardener class that was held at the Fullerton Arboretum many years ago. Yes. And it was friends that I had made in the Organic Gardening Club that, uh -huh. that asked me to join that class. I'm still a member of the Orange County Organic Gardening Club all these years. I am um, also a member of the California Rare Fruit Growers. Really? And the reason I did that was I, when I joined the Organic Gardening Club, I found out what I didn't know about gardening. I assumed that you planted a seed and it grew. And it was there that I... As I said, after I joined the Orange County Organic Gardening Club, that I learned how to grow food successfully and also how to take care of my soil and my garden. Wonderful. That, that, that's great experience, and it's a wide variety, too, because fruit trees, rare fruit trees are something that, grow extremely well in, in Orange County in our, our area, so that becomes more valuable for a person in there who is a backyard gardener. I think anyone can do it. It's a question of educating yourself on, on various aspects of gardening. Gardening is a lot of fun and for a lot of people. And I think that we can all learn from one another. And I think this show is probably a great way for people to learn more about gardening. We feel that way, too. And we hope our audience listens to us every Thursday morning on KUCI to In the Garden and get something from it. What we're trying to do is do projects or talk about projects as the various seasons change from one to another and give some good tips. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we're, we're, we would like to get, and I know from my experience in listening to you because I've been to your classes, we've done uh, workshops together from time to time, and I am always just right there listening because you have such great tips for gardeners or would-be gardeners. So they don't have to be experienced gardeners to, to pick up the tips that you're going to give them. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Designing a beautiful and productive vegetable garden. Now, do you have some key points you like to stress to the listeners 
that can be helpful to them? I think that one of the most important things in setting up a vegetable garden in your yard is to find out where the sun is and the direction of it. So that you can, when you do plant and uh, when you do design your garden, you're going to take full advantage of, of the sun. In order to have a productive garden, you really should have as much sun as you possibly can. How, how many hours is normally recommended? Well, ideally, it would be great if you could have eight hours of sunshine, but that's not always possible because you might have shade from your home or trees or your neighbor's trees. So it's important to know north, south, east, and west in your yard. And a good idea is to get a piece of paper and draw out your plan on paper. Wonderful. So that you know where north, south, east, and west is. And that will determine the placement of your garden. And one other question on the sun. Is there a preference of what sun you should get? For example, morning sun, is that better than late sun? Oh, absolutely. Uh, morning sun is, is better, generally speaking, because it's the start of the day. And so you have morning sun that goes into the will possibly go into the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Whereas evening, if you're planting a if you're planting your your garden and you get more afternoon, late afternoon sun, it's that's good too. However, the, you know that the sun is not going to last a longer period of time. So sun is well, sun full sun is ideal in any vegetable garden or flower yes. garden yes. for that matter. And uh, oftentimes, the afternoon sun, say two to three, is when they can fry our vegetables. Right? Well, They're the hot sun. Oh, absolutely. Anytime between noon and, and three in the afternoon, especially in Southern California in our warm summers. Yes. Um, so, I, but most. Summer vegetables or warm season vegetables yes. thrive in the sun. Let's talk about that for a minute. What what are warm season warm vegetables? Se warm season vegetables are those that grow best when the temperatures are between oh let's see now sixty oh sixty five and ninety five. And is there something like a Cool season vegetable? Well, here in Southern California, our cool season veg vegetables uh, grow best any time between, well, they're best planted in the fall. So any time from September on to March, you're going to find that the temperatures in Southern California can be very hot in September and October. But the late a in the late by the late afternoon, our sun is going down. It does cool off, and a it cools bit. off. So it's the climate, the change in the climate, that determines what vegetables you're going to be growing. And cool season vegetables are totally different from the warm season vegetables. What and do you mean by that? Well, cool season vegetables, as I said, 
grow best when the temperatures are between 55 and 75 degrees. Mm -hmm. And those vegetables tend to be things like the brassicas, the cabbages, and the, ca the cabbage family, cauliflower and root, uh, vegetables. Uh, root vegetables, right. And onions do well in the cool yes. season. Yes. And oftentimes onions are so persnickety as to when they want to grow, but they generally grow well in the, in the cool season. Absolutely. So if you're thinking of planting cool season vegetables, think, think about all the cabbage family members as well as the onions, garlic, chives, shallots. Beets. And beets do very well in the cooler season. Potatoes. Does well, that potatoes can they, they kind of they can grow you. all year. They can know. grow all year. Good. Well, that's interesting. Now, warm season. What's the difference there? Well, warm season vegetables do best when the temperatures are between 65 and 95, and those are the vegetables that are mainly the tom tomato tomatoes grow yes. well. Yes. Yes. Cucumbers grow really well at this time of the year, as well as putting in all your your um, herbs. Ah. This is a perfect time to start an herb garden, whether you're planting it from starts that you might buy start yourself, or buy at a nursery, or start from seed. I, I'm going to ask you a little bit later on about seeds versus transplants. And, but we'll go on from that until okay. uh, till a little bit later in our program. I mean, we've got 55 minutes or so, so <laughs> we got a lot of subjects, and I want to keep you on your focus because I know how this can lead to other talks that are off the, <laughs> the uh, process. But... We're, we mentioned sunny area, cool season, warm season. How about water supply? What do you recommend on having water supply available? Ideally, I should point out first that uh, your garden should be as close to your kitchen as possible. Why is that? Well... You're, whenever you're in the kitchen and you're starting to cook, you might think, oh, gosh, I forgot to get such and such at the store, mainly, say, herb. Sure. And you can go out in your garden with a pair of scissors and snip it. Isn't that fun? Also, if you're going to make a salad and you have salad, you have lettuces growing in your garden, you just go right, right outside and plant your or clip your salad greens that you're going to put in that salad. Yes. I find that a lot of people put their garden away, too far away from their kitchen so that they will get to it eventually. Out of sight, out, out of, of mind. Out of mind, uh, yes. So it's ideal to keep it located right near your uh, kitchen. A garden should be only as large as you can manage. In other words, 
don't have an overabundance that is going to go to waste? Is that what you're meaning? Well, that and also your energy levels. You have to think about how much can I truly manage? If you're young, you probably have more energy than if you're older. And so the size of your garden gets to be very important to you before you even start a garden. Isn't that the truth? Because that's what I've found in research I've done that one of the major reasons people stop gardening because it's hard, hard work. work. So I always suggest start small. And I think that people who are, are in community gardens, they, they complain that they have no space, and yet it's all they can handle getting to their garden and working it. So it's important to plan a garden. A garden should have a plan. And when you have a plan, that's, where you, that's when the action starts. So a plan should first begin on paper. And I would recommend to anybody who's going to start a vegetable garden to start a garden notebook. A great tip for our listeners. And listeners, just to remind you, you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Or you can stream our program and the station by going to KUCI.org. Find our program on the day it is. There is a whole list of and times of every program on the station. So if you want to listen to it, and are out of the listening area, use your computer. Anyway, great tip. Have it on paper. Actually, I think you should design your, your garden on paper, too. Because if you have a plan in, in place, you're going to be able to write down on that paper where north, south, east and west is. Yes. And then you can place your vegetables accordingly in that garden. You mean like height? Absolutely. And lower should get be in front? And exactly. Especially, think of planting, say, corn. Yes. Corn grows tall, so you, ha you need to dedicate space to your corn. And remember, you can't just plant a few ears of corn. You have to plant several because they need to cross-pollinate. So that, that, determines, that determines the area that you're going to need. Why, why do they have to cross-pollinate? Does that help uh, produce the crop? Absolutely. In order to have the corn grow and the, and the fruit to set, it has to be cross-pollinated. And if we don't, if we find you don't have enough wind in your corn, in your patch of corn, you can actually go out and shake your stalks and encourage that pollination. To hit other uh, yes, to, to plants and yes, goes and back and back forth. Back and, and forth, and absolutely. Gotcha. What a tip. Thank you, Jerry. I know our listeners will appreciate that because we oftentimes people see people growing one row of corn. And they oftentimes, if it's not bl wind or breeze is not blowing in the right direction, mm -hmm. 
don't get the pollination. But if you grow it in a square mm -hmm. where they get benefit of the pollination from the plants in a square, get better results. Absolutely. Good. What else you got for us in that area? How about we... we did we talk about water supply yet? I know we oh, started I, we, on it. We started and got sidetracked. When you put, <clears throat> when you have your design, as I said, on paper, you need to see, determine where that water supply is going to come from. Ideally, if you can, set up some sort of drip irrigation in your garden. You may not... <clears throat> If you don't want to use drip, you could use silver hoses. And, ha of course, you need a water source. And connect that, that irrigation system to your water source. That, the one problem a lot of people have is that they either overwater or they don't water enough. As, as, as I've always heard, most plants die because they're overwatered. Overwatered, correct. However, if you put it on a drip system, you can put it on, have a clock attached and, and a timer so that it snaps on for you whatever. Regulate. You can regulate it, regulate the time. Where would a gardener who want, wanted to get involved in drip irrigation for their garden, where would they get drip mechanism? And I learn would, something I, about I would it. suggest your local nursery would be the first place to go and discuss that with the owner or the people who work there and ask them if they have the product or can they refer you to someone who has the product. Great tip. And or even the big box stores will help you with that. There are people in their nursery departments at most stores who will help you with that are with knowledgeable that. They're in these areas and they can offer you good suggestions as to where to buy product etc what i always say buy the best drip equipment drip irrigation equipment that you can possibly afford because they do have a tendency to get clogged up exactly and the ease of unclogging mm -hmm. makes it a lot simpler. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, I know uh, out at the Great Park uh, where the at the farm and food lab that the master gardeners maintain, the drip irrigation is a way of life. It, it needs to be a way of life in Southern California because, as you know, we're, all, we're in a drought. True. And we need to conserve the water. And vegetables do very well with drip irrigation. Wonderful. So we talked about water supply, making sure that is available and readily available. Otherwise, we may forget or say it's too difficult carrying uh, a water bucket uh, to the to our garden so keep it close exactly now one of the key things i've heard is preparing the soil 
in a garden. Have, do you have some ideas or thoughts on on the rototilling or the moving of the soil and getting it ready for the spring? After you've, I, just, I shouldn't say after, after you've planted your garden on paper. Yes. The one thing you have to do is get get your soil ready to, for planting. Now, ideally, soils before you dig soils, you should water the area thoroughly. And by watering it thoroughly you're going to be able to saturate the soil. You never work with dry soils because you can just inhale a lot of the dust particles that are generated when you start digging. It's a good idea to always water at least the day or two before you're going to dig. It just makes digging the soil a whole lot easier. Sure, and we have a lot of clay soil here. Absolutely. This is the time you'll find out also whether you have clay pockets and then you'll have to learn to deal with it. Generally speaking, you're going to find, you'll find rocks in your soil and you'll find other uh, debris perhaps. Before you even start digging though, I would hardly suggest you clear off any weeds first. And right now in the spring, the dandelions are blooming and a, a number of other persistent weeds that we get in our garden. So always clear away the weeds first and dispose of particularly the seed heads on them because if you have dandelions that are flowering, the seed heads are maybe dry and ready to blow in a, a million directions and you're going to have a dandelion problem. So ideally clear away all the weeds. And that's another reason people stop gardening. Absolutely. They get tired of weeding. Right. So if you start with a clean bed to begin with and then dig, you're going to have more success. And, and from what I've heard from Dr. Cheryl Weiland at the research center, where, by the way, for our audience, we are doing our program today at the South Coast Research Center, where most of the research of plants and fruits that are grown here in Southern California are done to help become disease resistant and various, various solutions so, uh, to pro gardening issues, problems uh, are done. So we're, out at, we're not in the studio, we're at the research center and Jerry was... So uh, so great to come here and visit with us today and give our audience some great tips. So so that was that's wonderful. Uh, now this is just the first tip about gardening. As I said, getting rid of the weeds, clearing the area, and then digging your soil. Yes, and 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 what I wanted to say before I where I get a little off track here, was Dr. Wyland, who is our weeds expert here, uh, mentioned that only go down an inch or two and take the weeds off. 
because otherwise, if you go too deep, you'll be stirring up old seeds that have been sitting there for a while. And we don't want to do that. All we want to do is get rid of the current crop. Absolutely. So just go down an inch or two in your soil to get rid of those weeds. However, you do need to dig deeper so that you have your, your soil needs to fresh be turned. Soil. You need fresh soil. And you need to clear away, as I said, all the debris. Turn the soil once. You don't need to double dig. People will say, I, they'll read, oh, they should double dig the soil. It's not necessary because most of the root system is only going to go down about 12 inches into yes. your soil. No Isn't more that than true? that. So it, digging your soil is not back, doesn't need to be backbreaking. You can do it very simply and easily. And then you let your soil sit for a day after you've dug it. And then you decide where you're going to put your plants. And plant placement in a new garden gets to be very important. We talked about corn, and we know that we don't want to. We want to plant corn in the north section of the garden, mm-hmm. so that it doesn't shade too much of your other vegetables. If you're growing a, a tomato plant, think about putting it in a cage, and st- or putting. A, wire around it so that it will keep it support will keep give it good support and contain it so that you can plant more than one tomato plant you might want to buy what you want might want to plant several tomato plants not only uh what to plant where but spacing is very important exactly yes you need to space your vegetables accordingly and it's kind of hard to look at a small start of a plant, a small plant, and think this is going to grow three feet tall, so I've got a plan for it. Uh-huh. You always have to think of what will be the ultimate size and then plan accordingly because then you can plant more things in a certain amount, in a limited amount of space. Yes, gotcha. So l- looking at the, the seed pack, if you're using seeds, that tells you spacing, exactly. when to plant, mm-hmm. etc., are very important. Those seed packs are very important. Yes, it is. Mark. How, how about the expiration dates? Is that an mm. issue? How long Sometimes, can you keep seeds? Well, saving seeds is a big topic, actually. Yes. And the best thing to do when you have a new packet of seeds is after you've used your packet, try to reseal it and put it in a keep it in a cool place. Seeds have to be kept on the cool side. So if you're keeping it in the house and you want to plant this seed again, an ideal thing to do is to get a large glass jar, like a large mason jar, sure. with a lid, and put your seed packets in there and 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 close it the lid off tight and keep it in a cool place so that it's not going to be too hot especially when we get our strong heat in the summer so an ideal thing is to put it in your refrigerator and they need to be dry also is that right oh absolutely keep them in the 
in a paper container that they come in mm -hmm. and then or you can put them in a Ziploc plastic bag. Good idea. Provided they're, they're dry, of course. Yes. And you can even save seeds from your plants. But you can only save seeds from plants that are not hybrids. They have to be open-pollinated varieties. What do you mean by that? Well, an open-pollinated variety is a seed that will come true every time you plant it. So... If I'm hearing you correct, that if you plant something else, you might get something else. That's correct. As a result, and not what you were planning on by using that seed. Is that correct? Yes and no. Okay. Open pollinated varieties are types that will grow true every time. It And some... Um, it's, but I, I think it would be better for me to say non-hybrid. I got you. A non-hybrid variety will come true every time. I see. If you ha because it only has it, <clears throat> it is it maintains its structure. If you have a hybrid, it has two parents, and it's going to revert back to one or the other. The strongest or the. Well, more dominant. More dominant. However, they're, they're mainly done in a laboratory. This is all done by uh, large com seed companies mm -hmm. will do that. So hybrid seeds uh, tend to um, not come true. So you can't save those seeds. As well. As well. I mean, they're gonna, uh, they're, they won't come true as you planted them the first time. They're either going to... Uh, revert back to one or the other of the... I've heard that. And, yes. Uh, and, and it's also interesting, as seeds get older, they will germinate, but maybe not as, as frequent, or uh, some of them may not. So what a lot of experts say is, if you have a seed pack that is two or three years old, you might want to plant two or three seeds to ensure you get one. If all three of them come up, take out the the weakest ones. Is that well, you something can. you do? Well, actually, I, try, I, I like to test seeds before I plant them. Uh-huh. And the, the easiest way to test a seed is to take a piece of paper towel and pre-moisten it and squeeze all the water out of it, just keep it moist, and put it in a Ziploc bag, the seed in the ba in, you know, on the paper towel, put it in, into a Ziploc bag, and see whether it will germinate. And usually you just put it like on top of your VCR place where it will stay warm. Sure, warm. Have and a little light? Ha no, no light. Not light. No, we just keep it in, wrapped in a paper towel inside a Ziploc bag. And... After, well, determining how long this particular seed will germinate, you might have to take a peek at, sure. at, it, at it in a week or so, and then it may have sprouted. What a wonderful tip. Yeah. And, Jerry, just uh, for our listeners, 
Remember, we are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and the opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the Board of Regents. And for more information, go to KUCI.org. Thank you. Now, we're talking about seeds. Do you prefer to grow your garden by seed? Yes and no. When I'm planting things like fava beans, which are big beans, mm-hmm. I plant those directly in the soil. Uh-huh. I plant corn directly in the soil because they're large seeds. But when it comes to small seeds, I like to start them possibly in, in good potting uh, seed starting mix, a good sure. seed starting mix. Yes. That way I can determine how many, t- if it's something like tomatoes, to see wh- where the, whether or not they're going to sprout if they're older seeds. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, if you have brand new seeds and you're not concerned about them starting, they should, if they're new seeds, they'll grow directly in the soil. And At I, least nine out of ten of them. Nine out of ten. Something though. like that. Exactly. So they will grow. If they're new seeds, for that season, they'll grow just fine directly, planted in the soil. But again, you have to allow for spacing so that you know how, how much to plant in a specific amount of space. Very good. So, And, and uh, transplants, they're easier probably, oh, they're easy. but they're more expensive. Exactly. But when, I, when you have, I have small seeds, I like to use the basis of square foot gardening when I plant my garden. Mm-hmm. Because I think you just get more out of one square foot than you would even imagine, especially when you're using small seeds. And I refer to things like lettuces that are tiny, tiny seeds. Right. You can take one square foot and get an awful lot of lettuce out of one square foot. And so I firmly believe that square foot gardening is a great way to plant a garden because you especially people who have limited space in their garden. Don't they, we all these days? Everyone, right? We all do, and I think it's just a very good method of gardening. And ideal places where, because with, the, with big homes and small lots, we often do get a lot of shade. <laughs> so oftentimes our... We have a limited area where we get enough sun. And do you have any thoughts on louvered sun? Many of our patios have have a patio cover that is louvered. And uh, so we'll get a filtered sun, we might call it. And from my experience, what I've found and you can correct me if I'm wrong because you are the expert here, not me. But that while you will still get production, you won't get as much of production from louvered sun as you will direct sun. So if you want a productive garden, not talking about beauty at this point, but productive, get that six to eight hours sun that we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Very good. Uh, And 
Square foot gardening, I'm very familiar with that also because I'm a certified square foot garden teacher. And that's a raised bed. Is that correct? Or do you use the techniques? I use the techniques of it. But not necessarily the raised beds. Correct. However, I have I have both actually. Ah. I I think that using your space efficiently is going to make you a better gardener. Because you might start with a large garden and find out that it's overwhelming. Gotcha. And if you plan on square foot a square foot garden, you can look at this a little bit more realistically and say, well, I can handle this amount of growing in this square foot. Whereas if you let it if you let it get out of hand and you don't measure, you're going to end up with a lot of one thing. I hear you. And I think it's nice to know well, I'm going to have lettuce here and I'm going to have parsley here, etc., so that I have my the need the food I'm going to need in my cooking. Good. And that that is very important too from a standpoint of having the quantities that you and your family and maybe a friend or two mm-hmm. uh, can use without having to waste it. Uh, I, I know right now my blood oranges have been been growing and I have been I've been harvesting since December and I have given away hundreds and hundreds of them and now when my friends see me coming with a bag they almost turn around and walk the other way <laughs> because when we have too much mm-hmm. it can either go to waste or it, it'd be nice to be able to give it away but growing the right amount Yes. The amount that you're going to be able to use is very important in a good, productive garden. I have a, another question for you. What do you feel, and the, this came up because I was listening to you talk about utilizing a square foot for spacing uh, uh, in your garden, but rotational or progressive growing so that you have something all the time that you can go out into your garden with your scissors and mm-hmm. and go for. Uh, it would seem by using the method that you're talking about, it's easier to plan where it'll go this year, where it'll go next year, and then you exactly. get a full rotation of your crop. That's true, Mark. I think crop rotation should be also very the basis of your garden. And it's important to know your plant family so you're not planting the same thing in the same place year after year or season after season. For example, eggplant, tomatoes, and peppers all belong to the same family. And so when you're growing, think about dedicating an area to just those vegetables. Eggplants, tomatoes, peppers. 
companions, almost. Well, or like gender, they're like genus. Genus, yes. They're the nightshade family. Yes. And so, Nick, you plant them perhaps in one space this year. Next year, move them to another space. In its place, plant beans, for example. You might do bush beans. That Beans also improve your soils by providing more nutrient to it. A lot of the vegetables we grow pull a lot of the nutrition out of the soil, and so you have to remember to put it back. Corn is another example of a vegetable that takes a lot out of your soil. And so after you've planted your corn one year, you should replace it with some sort of bean. You can do fava beans in the winter time. And after they are finished growing, you can harvest the beans. And then you could chop up all that fava bean greenery and throw it into your compost pile or incorporate it into your soil, and it will enrich your soil. What a topic. You're, you're, you're just giving so much good advice here to our listeners. Uh, we could go on for hours, right? It's an interesting discussion. And the things that an experienced master gardener as well as an experienced vegetable garden can give these tips that are scientific and research-based and experience-based. So you're doing such a great job, Jerry. Thank you for being part of our program today. We still have a while to go, and I have a few more questions. Transplants. We didn't talk much about that. Transplants. Are there some tips you have on picking transplants? What I'm thinking about is disease resistance. Well, is there anything in that area you want to discuss or highlight? Actually, with transplants, you have to think of your source of where they're coming from. If they're coming from someone who has a diseased plant in their garden that you don't know about, and they're offering you plants, sometimes you're go- you import it in. Be careful. You have to so be very careful where you're getting your plants. If you're getting your plants from someone who uses proper technique, you're going to have good success. And that means you, before you trans, if you're doing things yourself, always use a, a plant, a seed starting mix or a planting mix that is clean. Like. Getting it sterile. St- well, not necessarily, not necessarily sterile, but clean. but clean. You want to make sure that it's primarily it doesn't have wood chips in it. Uh huh. Wood. The reason people have trouble with plants dying and not doing well is they're planted in the wrong medium, and a lot of people make their own soils and they put wood chips in it. And when, if you can actually see the wood chip, if it's a good-sized piece, say a half an inch thick, and there are multiple pieces of it, and you put it in the ground, what happens is that wood is not t- totally decomposed, 
and it will continue to decompose in your soil and your plant will fail. I see. Because it will be... Well, it's robbing the oxygen at the, root, at the roots and it, it, the plant will fail. Jerry, uh, a couple areas I want to talk about here. Uh, the next one is fertilizer, manures, and compost. And I also want to spend some time on beautifying the garden because, and we'll talk about this first before we get into the fertilizer, manures, and compost areas. But beautifying, most vegetable gardens are not exactly beautiful, especially if they have a variety of plants. And I've seen this, I know you have, in community gardens, mm -hmm. where oftentimes some of it looks okay, the rest of it isn't. Do you have any tips on beautifying the garden by adding flowers, by yes. some other things? Right now in the spring, I have nasturtiums growing oh. in my flower, in my vegetable garden. But I, plant, I planted those nasturtiums many years ago. And the wonderful thing about nasturtiums is they throw their own seeds. Uh -huh. And so they come up every year. And I love to see them. They're happy flowers. They're in beautiful uh, pinks and oranges and yellows. And the gar my vegetable garden, though it doesn't have very much in it now, has flowers in it that will continue to uh, reseed themselves, and I'll have it for years mm, to come. Yes. Okay. So nasturtiums are great. Um, Forget-me-nots are a wonderful seed to plant in your garden. And they are beautiful. Too. And they're lovely. The nice thing about forget-me-nots is they're blue, and blue attracts bees. And bees and butterflies. Flies and all the beneficial insects that you want in your vegetable garden to, to pollinate. To, to yeah. po well, for pollination, and also they keep your plants clean. True. That's another thing about keeping your garden beautiful, harvesting on mm -hmm. time and being able to keep your garden clean prevents and discourages many, many different things that can come into your garden that you don't want. Exactly. There's, um, flowers are a great way to go. Another plant that's edible that you can plant in your garden is dill. Oh, and really? Dill, when it sets its flower and its seed, of course, it's the plant itself is edible, but you'll see hoverflies that come into your garden, which are really beneficial. They're, they're wonderful in your garden. They love dill. It also brings in butterflies. Wow. So think about herbs that you could use that will have, that you're going to eat as well as help your garden. Especially if it's close to your kitchen. Exactly. We all want a beautiful garden. And that's, those are some great tips on having, keeping them beautiful all year long. Uh, I wanted to talk also, again, as I mentioned, fertilizer, manures, composts. Any ideas on fertilizer that... 
It's been my experience that the best thing that a gardener can do when they start their garden as a, and have a plan is that you fertilize once. And, prob- and I, I shouldn't even say fertilize. I want to say amend your soil. Uh-huh, yes. The best thing you can use is, of course, compost. And if you make it yourself, that's probably one of the best things you can do. And it's cheap as a result. It's very, very (laughs) reasonable. Uh, So always think of having a compost pile going in your garden, if you possibly can. If that's kind of an impossibility, then I would heartily suggest using organic amendments to your soils. And some of the organic amendments that you can use if you want a nitrogen source would be things like blood meal. That's primarily what our gardens need, right? Yes. They need nitrogen. They also need phosphorus. Right. And things like bone meal mm-hmm. would be good. And all of these products are available in your local nurse- yes. nurseries or big box stores. You can also buy... Uh, pre-blended organic fertilizer, and they ha- they they're made by various companies. But I always recommend that if you're going to use these products, use for the use look for the word organic on it, because the back of that bag will tell you what's in that product. There are three numbers on every bag of fertilizer yes. that you use. It's, it's called the NPK, which is nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Ideally, you want to see those three numbers on the, the front of that bag, and that will tell you the, how that, what the composition of that mix is. Today's fertilizers, especially if they're or, organic-type fertilizers, and they, they're made by different manufacturers, also have micronutrients on the back of the bag, and that will that's also explained. Read your packages. They give you an awful lot of information. Jerry, we've got about a minute left, and I wanted to mention something about manures. I know manures are a very good source of nutrients, but what I have heard because manures generally come from things like horses and chicken that eat a lot of seeds, that you should get composted manure and composted manure that has been well composted, not for five minutes. Exactly, Mark. Uh, Never use fresh manures in your garden. By fresh, I mean that they've never been composted, or you have maybe neighbors with horses. Or a lot of salt. Yes, and they have, exactly. So they can really hurt your soils. Yes. Jerry, we are about done. We should have had a two-hour program because we could talk about a lot of other things, maybe in the future. Thank you, Mark. We'll come back, but... Uh, For our listeners, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to come to the research center so that we could talk about this and give some good tips and advice to our listeners. And thank you. 
I thank you, they thank you.